Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Afternoon. Morning. Afternoon. Noon. Good noon, Garfield Memorial. And our friends online, it is such an insane pleasure to be with you. I really do feel like I'm with family when I'm here. Pastor Chip and Terry have become our fast family, our forever family, and we are completely grateful for them. And I am grateful to be here this 19th day of January because I have one very important question for all of you. How are those New Year's resolutions going? There are some common resolutions that come up every year. Exercise more, lose weight, learn a new skill or hobby, quit smoking, travel more, read more, etc. And despite how good these resolutions are, unfortunately, almost all of them are discarded. In fact, studies show only about 5% of these resolutions will be intact as of December 31st. So I'm inviting you to do something today guilt-free. I want you to take your resolution and chuck it. That's right. Just forget about it. You wanted to make a brunch reservation at this place, but you were afraid the food was too fatty? Go ahead. Call them up. I won't mind. And there's a key reason for that. And my reason is, I think as hard and fantastic as those resolutions are, and as proud of you as I am for making them, I think they're still too small. And they're too small because we serve a great God who can do more than these things. Yep, see, tiny, big difference. And so how about these resolutions? I want to bring about an end to poverty. In fact, by the end of the year, you're going to see an appreciable difference in what poverty looks like in our city because of something that I'm going to do. Or maybe you could say, I'm going to bring about the equal treatment of every person. Sociologists can come study the places where I've had an influence and see that people are treated more equitably than they are in other places. Or even creation care. I am going to help the oceans be cleaner than they ever have been before because of something I'm going to put my effort into. Or even a resolution to paraphrase our Jesus. I resolve to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that's a resolution. So what of these? Are these um, some idealistic pipe dream? only believed by people who have never grown up? Are these the stuff of hippies, like our resident hippie, Pastor Terry? (laughs) Or are these the sort of resolutions that we can all 
aspire to when we believe in what God can really do. So today I want to talk to you about great expectations. I wanted to call this the tyranny of low expectations, but my husband said that was too harsh. So we're going to be positive today. And my great expectation for all of you is that you will be able to get a hold of and apprehend what it is God wants to do in and through you when you just believe him. God who is love, we thank you for this time, for this gathering. We thank you for every single person in this room, that you have given them a role and a place in your kingdom. God, I pray that they would see that more clearly, that they would leave behind low expectations of the past and move forward into what you fully have for them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as we start today to talk about the difference between low expectations and great expectations, I want to take us to 2 Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. And in this story, we see what is going on in Israel. Israel is now ruled by kings who are not following the ways of the Lord, but we still see characters crop up who have the audacity to continue to believe God despite what they see around them. This is one such story. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would go see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you can cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and then he will know there is a prophet in Israel. Now, in this story, we, have, we see several different characters. We see this young girl who is serving a family, and she believes Naaman can be cured of his leprosy because of the God in Israel. Naaman himself hears this report, and he believes it. He goes to his master, the king, and the king believes it, enough so that Naaman is sent with 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. And then he gets to Israel, and he eventually meets Elisha the prophet, who believes it also. And spoiler alert, he is cured of his leprosy eventually. The rest of the story is great. You should read it. Um, but there's one character in the story who doesn't believe, and that's the king of Israel. The very person who is a regent of God in Israel and is supposed to represent this God feels like this mission is useless. I'm going to be made a fool of. This person is not going to be cured of their leprosy. 
And this king of Israel, we learn something about him that perhaps tells us why he is not willing to believe that there can be a cure for this leprosy. You see, this king is steeped in idolatry. Yes, he may not worship the god Baal, but what he does worship and leads other people to worship are two golden calves that are supposed to represent the presence of God on earth. This is his worship practice. And because of this, when somebody asks him to go to God, the only God he knows to go to are these two golden calves that have been proven useless. Idolatry will ratchet down our expectations of what the living God can do. Because idols will disappoint us time and time and time and time again. And so that when somebody comes to us seeking God, we're not sure that anything is going to happen. We're not sure that anything can change. We have lowered expectations. You know, I used to work for Procter & Gamble and um, my 13th year there, I was with the IMS division. And one day they called us all into an auditorium. They announced that IMS had been sold to Mars. And that, you know, some of us would have jobs, some of us wouldn't. There were going to be a lot of changes going on. So it was a day. Me and a friend of mine, we went to the Mexican restaurant. We ate nachos for a couple of hours. We knew it would be fine. She got a great job with Google. She's now like off running the world. I'm getting my PhD. Everything did work out fine. But our reaction wasn't the same reaction as some of the other people in the office. I saw grown men crying that day and lamenting that they didn't know who they were anymore. They didn't know who they were going to be without this job that they had had for so many years. And so I saw in that moment how they had made their job their idol. The thing that was supposed to provide them fulfillment and, and identity and wonder in life had just snatched all that away. And we too, if we put our, our hope in our jobs, not that we're not proud of the work that we, we do, not that we don't do it the best, but if our hope and identity is in that, one day we're going to get called into an auditorium. Or one day we're going to find that slip in our mailbox and we're not going to know what to do. When we put our expectations and our, our, our hopes in the idol of a job, we can't help but have our expectations lowered. Or maybe some of you were just coming off the Christmas season and I know a lot of you spent a lot of time picking out the perfect tree and then cooking the perfect meal and buying the perfect presents. And then Uncle John got drunk and ruined it all. <laughs> when we put our hopes or our expectations and how great our family can be, that's another opportunity for us to be disappointed and end up with lowered expectations. Because the only picture-perfect family is in a picture. In fact, some of y'all looking on Instagram too much and you think the next person's family is perfect and you just don't see behind the scenes. So y'all need to stop that. Again, that can be an idol. We want to give our best to our family, but we should not put our hope in them. Or perhaps we are fans of a scrappy little football team. Um, I'm not going to name any names. Maybe it's a color name that I'm going for here. And we've watched one coach after another come and go and come and go. And it's to the point where we don't have any hope anymore. We can make that football team an idol. 
And when we worship idols, they can't help but disappoint us. And so when we've hoped in something and it's let us down, we don't often realize that we've just put our hope in the wrong thing. What we do is we stop hoping. We decide it's dumb to hope. We lower our expectations and think we can only have what's realistic in the world. But there's a different character in this story. And very much unlike the king, she put her hope in the living God. You know, I, I, I think this, this thing about idols is so true because children are able to have bigger hopes than we can dream or imagine. If you ever ask a kid what kind of house they're going to live in when they get bigger, there's going to be elevators, there's going to be there's going to be all kinds of stuff. Me, I'm just like, can I can I have three bedrooms and a kitchen counter? That'll that'll do it. Small expectations. But this girl didn't have high expectations of God because her situation was great. In fact, the story tells us she was taken from her home as a prisoner. She worked as a slave in the house of somebody she didn't even know. And we're not even told in the story, but only God knows how she was treated in that household. But yet, despite her circumstances, she was the first one to stand up and say, you have a skin disease? I know a God who takes care of skin diseases. She knew who God was and what God could deliver. And so this tells us that great expectations don't come from great circumstances. They come instead from a certainty of who our God is, a faith to believe God and trust God to blow our minds again and again and again. Not necessarily because God gave us the life that we always wanted, but because God can do anything. I want to have great expectations of God. I don't want to expect things of idols. I want to go straight to the living God. How about you today, church? Yes. So there's a few things I think we need to do to recover the great expectations that maybe have been beaten out of us over the years. The first one is to remember what the content of these great expectations should be. So if I were to stand on the stage close my eyes and extend my hand and have a great expectation that one of you is going to put the keys to a Tesla in my hand and say, drive on. No, no, nobody. Yeah, that expectation is not going to happen because that expectation has absolutely nothing with what Jesus is trying to do in the earth right now. You see, for the slave girl, her belief was very much in line with what God was doing. God had commissioned Israel as a nation of priests to show every country that they had contact with who the true God was and how powerful this God was. So she, as a girl who's been carried off to a different country, she took advantage of this opportunity for the people around her to know your God's not it. There's a God in Israel who can even heal skin diseases. And our mission today is not dissimilar. Jesus left us with a gospel or good news that we get to be messengers of every place we step our feet. And we get hung up in the content of this this word gospel, so I want to unambiguate this a little bit for us. Rome had a gospel. It was not an uncommon word at that time. And Rome's gospel was this. Whenever Rome took over a town or a city or a country, they would 
tap up a notice that would say, Rome is here, it's good news. Whether or not it was good news at the time, they told you it was good news. And so with Rome, they said that their gospel was that you now will have peace and you will now have the salvation that comes in no other name than Caesar. And this gospel of Rome didn't just come with new ways of worshiping and new gods, even though it did come with that. It came with education systems for children. It came for, with hospitals for healing. It came with theater and, and sports and, and a whole different lifestyle that came because Rome is here. Well, the gospel of Jesus comes with peace and salvation. And then instead of the name of Caesar, it comes in the name of Jesus. But let's not get it twisted. If we start to think that Jesus' good news is only heavenly and spiritual, we miss part of what this good news can be. They came with a whole new lifestyle. And I'm not going to stand up and tell you that Jesus' gospel is smaller than Rome's. By no means. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes with salvation and forgiveness of sins. But it comes with more than that. It comes with hope for the widow and the orphan and the marginalized and the mistreated and the immigrant and you and me here and now. If it weren't so, why would I pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? It's not a lie. It's true. That's what we believe we can see. And so... Although the greatest thing that has ever been done is forgiveness of sins and restoration of a right relationship with God, even that greatest thing that has ever been done is small compared with all Jesus came to do with establishing the kingdom of God. Because when the kingdom of God is established, Jesus is the king. And everything that we do, everything that our life look like, looks like flows from the leadership of Jesus as king. So the system should operate the way it does under a king Jesus. We should have the blessings and the assurances that we do under King Jesus. And Jesus didn't just come all at once and make it happen, but Jesus left us as priests and kings to establish that kingdom every place we set our foot. And so we can have great expectations anytime we're acting as part of that mission because we know that's what Jesus wants to see established on earth. The second thing I want to remind you to do is to remind you to be a king. Not the king from our story earlier, but maybe a little bit more like Dr. King. And I want to draw a comparison between the life of the theologian Reinhold Niebuhr and Dr. Martin Luther King, just as James Cone did in The Cross and the Lynching Tree. You see, Reinhold Niebuhr was a well-known theologian during his time. Any theology student would have read his writings, and, and most educated people as well. And he came up with this concept called Christian realism, which doesn't make any sense to me, because... Reality and Christianity, realism is not what I'm necessarily going for when I worship a supernatural God. But his contention was that you can only have 
a balance of power between parties. That humans are so evil, and especially when they're in groups, they're so evil, that the things Jesus was talking about, equality, unity, love of all people, that we would never see it this side of heaven. He didn't believe we could see it because he hadn't seen it. But you're not supposed to believe in what you see. You're supposed to believe in what God says. And so your philosophy controls your actions. And we see this philosophy at work in how Niebuhr acted. So he was the pastor of a church, Bethel Church in Detroit, Michigan. And the year after he left and turned over the the church to another pastor, uh, a few African-American families came and they tried to join the church. And the church members were incensed. But this pastor believed, hey, we need to have equality in this church. But the angry church members wrote to Niebuhr and said, hey, get your boy in check. We're not going to have people like this in this church. And you know what? Niebuhr took their side. He said, it's probably not time yet. Maybe it's not realistic or reasonable to have this church integrated at this time. He went for what he could see, and that affected how he acted. Even in the seminary where he worked, we have no record, despite his writings about race and the the scourge of racism, we have no record of him doing anything with the faculty or the students of Union Seminary to help make it a more equitable place. Because the truth is, he didn't believe it was possible. For him, the the Christian doctrine of original sin served as a prophylactic agent against great expectations of whatever origin about our social and political destiny. Niebuhr had some expectations of God, but tempered what he thought God could do because of what he saw around him. Well, I don't know about you, but in the Bible I read, it said that Jesus went to the cross for our original sin problem. So I don't need to take that into account when I decide what God can and cannot do in our world. I just need to believe what the scripture said. And I see in John 17 a vision of a great collaboration that has begun with Jesus' work at the cross where you would have all of us coming together as unity. And that would be the great apologetic for the gospel. That would be the reason why everyone would believe. And we don't have to settle for for a a tolerance or or a strained peace between groups. We can have one group under Jesus Equality here and now because of what he did at the cross. That's the kind of reality I want to work for. And that's the kind of reality that Martin Luther King worked for. He decided that I'm not going to pick up this idea of Christian realism and called us over and over and over again to believe in impossible things. From equality of all people to economic justice to people laying down power and privilege so that we could all be counted. Dr. King called us to a vision of a better world than a reasonable man would expect. In every way, that vision was the expansion of the kingdom of God on earth. And like the slave girl in our Naaman story, he was not ignorant of the cruelty of people when he made these proclamations. He had seen bodies hanging from trees. He saw one bloated body of a 14-year-old boy who had been lynched because a woman lied about his actions. He saw children having fire hoses and dogs sicked on them. 
And then he preached at the funeral of four girls who were killed in an explosion while worshiping at church. Yes, Dr. King saw the cruelty of people, but didn't let those circumstances control what he believed that God could do. Was he crazy? Was he stupid? Or did he see enough of God to have great expectations? And I think comparing their two stories, they were both marginalized folks in society. And maybe it is people on the margins who can better see what God can do. Because when we're comfortable, well, I guess if the status quo continues till Jesus comes back, it's going to be okay. But this slave girl and Dr. King saw nothing's going to be okay if God doesn't act right now. And so they were willing to believe impossible things because they needed the impossible. Church, where's our need for impossible things today? This King Weekend, I urge you to be a king, to pick up your kingly anointing and expect more than you think is possible. Expect to see what Jesus told us we could. And I know the political situation is, is tense and people are expecting to see us fracture more than ever before. Childhood poverty and, and inequality are problems in Ohio. We have a criminal justice system that doesn't provide justice. But yet and still, when we look at those huge problems, we have two choices. One is to decide the problems are too big and intractable and then sit on our hands. Or to decide that the problems are too big and intractable and then show those problems the great expectations that come from our great God that they can be solved even in our lifetimes. Finally, I encourage you to be filled with the Spirit. We are shown that when we work, we work. But when the Spirit of God, God in us and with us works, then we can expect miracles to happen. Furthermore, we're told that the Spirit of God will be within us, rivers of living water bubbling out of our being and spreading that life wherever we go. It's like that story of a bucket who was sad because it had a little hole in the bottom of it until it was able to look back and see all the flowers that had grown where it had passed. You can be like that bucket, spreading life and being able to look back and see where the spirit of God in you has gone, that there is life. So maybe it's time for some new resolutions today for you to leave with. I want you to pause for a moment and get in your head that thing that has been in the back of your mind. Maybe that thing that you, you threw away because you thought, this is too hard, it'll never happen, I'm being unrealistic. Maybe that thing that you didn't feel qualified to go to God for, you're qualified. I want you to get that in your head, either for yourself, for your city, for this church under Pastor Chip's vision. What is that thing? You got it? You got that big dream? You got that great expectation? Now I want to tell you a story about Habitat for Humanity. And basically, the founder of Habitat didn't quite have great expectations yet. All he wanted to do was start a little construction company in his city and help house some homeless people. And then somebody looked at him and said, take that vision and multiply it by a million. And he realized, if I'm going to multiply that vision by a million, I need to get a hammer in the hands of every Christian around the world. And that's just about what he's done. 
So now I want you to take that thing you had in your head a moment ago and multiply it by a million. Does it scare you? Does it terrify you? Good. Because then, now we're talking God-sized dreams. Now we're talking kingdom-sized expectations. Do you want to know what mine is? I'm crazy enough to dream that by the time I die, racism will be eradicated from the Church of Jesus Christ. And that, that is a big enough dream that I'm willing to give my whole life for. Because I don't just need you to dream big. I need you to know it's going to cost you something and get moving. Small at first, growing bigger, going forward. Dr. King didn't just have a dream. He woke up and got to work. Pastor Chip is moving you from fans to followers. And the scripture says that many are called, but few are chosen. Are you willing to pay the cost today of having great expectations? In fact, for some of you, you might have to pick back up those resolutions we chucked at the beginning of service. Some of you are going to be back on the treadmill tomorrow. Not because your resolution is to lose weight, but because the expectation and the resolution you made is so big, you're going to need to live another 50 years to see it happen. Some of you are going to be uh, pinching pennies as of tomorrow, not because your resolution is to save money, but because you know God's going to call you out of your workplace and you need to be prepared financially. What is it that you need to pick up in order for God's mission to come true? When we know what God has called us to do, when we take realism and throw it right out the window, and then we follow God into great expectations, there's no limit to what can be accomplished in and through us. Let's pray. God who is love, thank you for the dreams in this place. Thank you for the great expectations, the visions, the, the things that you are breathing life on and bringing back to life. And now, God, I pray that the empowerment of your spirit would go with each man, woman, and child in this place. Show them that they have something to offer, that there is a God who can deliver greatly and who is willing to work in them. And God, I pray that as we go forward, we would see measurable change, not just in this church, not just in this city, not just in Ohio, but in your world because of the great expectations and great dreams these men and women have dared to dream. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen.